Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, this is the Soul Anchor Podcast, and I am your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor Podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible while we sail across the sea seeking adventures where they can be found. In our previous episode, we went over the important historical events of the 4th century. The emergence of Constantine brought the end of persecution to the Christian world. Unfortunately, this time of peace led to the emergence of the insidious heresy of Arianism, which taught that Jesus was a created being. This led to the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Constantinople, which finally nailed down the belief that Jesus was completely God and completely man. If it had not been for outstanding teachers, this would not have happened, and Christianity may have taken a terrible turn. So let's learn about these outstanding men that God used to preserve his truth. The first theologian we will look at is one of Ken Sample's greatest theologians of all history, Athanasius. Most of what I will be teaching you I glean from Ken Sample's book, Classic Christian Thinkers. I encourage you to pick it up. It is outstanding. Athanasius is called the father of Christian orthodoxy. He lived from 296 to 373. He was Egyptian, and as a young man attended the Council of Nicaea under the authority of Alexander, Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt. Athanasius eventually succeeded Alexander as Bishop of Alexandria. He saw the deity of Christ as the very foundation of the Christian faith. He fought Arianism all of his life. Even though the Council of Nicaea had rejected it, it still enjoyed widespread acceptance, especially in the East. Because of his rejection of Arianism, he was exiled five times, exiled for a total of 17 years of his 45 years as bishop. His greatest book, The Incarnation of the Word, is a highly logical and scriptural argument for why God had to become man in the form of Jesus. It is considered one of the most significant theological works in the early Christian church. Each year he would write a letter to his churches. In 367, he wrote a letter where he set down the New Testament books that he considered canon. It is what we use today. In his other great work, Life of Anthony, Athanasius writes about the first monk, Anthony. In it, he profiles Anthony's life of spiritual warfare in which he battles the wiles of the devil during his sojourn in the Libyan desert. He spotlights three central themes, the believer's spiritual victory over dark forces through Jesus Christ. Secondly, Anthony's life as an example of transformation into union with God. And thirdly, Anthony as an overall model for Christian orthodoxy. 
This book is going to inspire the emergence of monks who will retreat into the wilderness to get away from the worldliness of the post-Constantine church life. Anthony is considered an example of spiritual discipline, strength, and wisdom in the Eastern Christendom. So what were his key positions? Arianism has cast a long shadow in church history. Keep in mind that it is the precursor of the views held by Unitarians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Christadelphians, and Armstrongism. Athanasius focused on how the identity of Christ in the Incarnation made it possible for him to accomplish salvation. Just listen to these impeccable arguments. I'm only going to read the arguments. Please note that there are biblical references to support each point. Pick up the book if you want to go deeper. First, for an orthodox Christology, the person and nature of Christ. Number one, only God can save from sin. Number two, Jesus saves people from sin. Number three, therefore Jesus Christ is God. He is incarnate. Second, against Arian Christology. No creature can save another creature. The implication from biblical truth that only God can save. Number two, the Arian Christ is a creature. Number three, therefore, the Arian Christ cannot save other creatures. Third, for an orthodox Christology. Number one, only God is to be prayed to and worshipped. Number two, Jesus is prayed to and worshipped in the New Testament with apostolic approval. Number three, therefore, Jesus is God. He is incarnate. Fourth, against an Arian Christology. Number one, only God is to be prayed to and worshipped. Number two, the Arian Jesus is not God. Number three, therefore praying to and worshipping the Arian Jesus constitutes idolatry. Basically, Arianism makes historic Christians, as practiced in Scripture, into idolaters. Athanasius argued that if Arianism was adopted, that it would lead to two disastrous results. The Arian Christ could not function as Savior, and secondly, the Arian Christ would turn Christians into practicing idolaters. In contrast, he argued that the Son was of the same substance with the Father. Thus, in Christianity, God comes searching for humanity in the Incarnation. But in Arianism, humanity is left still searching for God. Athanasius was also one of the first fathers to give attention to the nature and identity of the Spirit. He argued that the Spirit is a divine person equal to the Father and the Son. In regard to salvation, Athanasius held a broad view that is different from what the Western Church believes. Athanasius once wrote, quote, He, Christ, indeed assumed humanity that we might become like God. He believed in what the Eastern Orthodox Church would later call theosis or deification. 
This idea is built on 2 Peter 1.4 and the teachings, teachings of Irenaeus and Origen. Let me read to you 2 Peter 1.4 from the NIV. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. According to Ken Samples, simply put, Athanasius believed that the Christian believer would become divine, not that human beings will actually become gods, as the Mormons believe, but that the God's nature transforms the believer into the full likeness of God, and the believer experiences true union with God and participates in the divine nature. So, theosis differs from Mormonism in rejecting polytheism, and from Eastern mystical religions in rejecting divine absorption. Think becoming one with the Force, and you'll understand that. Put another way, man's fallen nature is not what humanity is supposed to be. Christ is the measure of the humanity we should strive towards and which the Holy Spirit will eventually help us become. Theosis reflects one of the ways in which the Eastern Orthodox beliefs differ from Roman Catholic and Protestant. Think of it as a mystical approach to their belief of the process of sanctification. So, what is Athanasius' contribution to Christianity? It can be argued that in his struggle against Arianism, he saved Christianity from being changed into a fundamentally different religion. For his lifelong defense of Christian orthodoxy and the preservation of the canon, Athanasius is known as the father of orthodoxy. All three branches of Christendom revere him. He has been canonized as a saint by the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics. So, who was Athanasius the man? His enemies referred to Athanasius, a short, swarthy Egyptian man, as the Black Dwarf. <laughs> when told that the world was against him, he reportedly said, The world is not against Athanasius. Athanasius is against the world. Now that we've looked at this amazing superhero of the faith, let's look at some of the quote-unquote minor players of the 4th century. In their way, these men's contribution was huge to church history. First up, Eusebius. Eusebius was born in the early 260s and is known as the father of church history. His magnus opus, History of the Church takes us from the beginning to the year 324. If it had not been for this book, we would have lost what happened to the apostles and the early church fathers. Many of the courageous stories of martyrdom of early saints are found in these pages. He was a great admirer of Constantine and wrote The Life of Constantine. Eventually, he was excommunicated for supporting Arius, but redeemed himself by apologizing at the Council of Nicaea. Cyril of Jerusalem Cyril of Jerusalem, not to be confused with Cyril of Alexandria from the 3rd century, was the bishop of Jerusalem in the mid-4th century. He opposed Arianism and was exiled for it. 
Cyril wrote the Catechetical Lectures for those preparing to be baptized. It was a sort of Christianity 101 course that young believers would take. In it, he gives us insights on what the church believed about the sacraments during the 4th century. The Cappadocian Fathers, Basil of Caesarea, his brother Gregory of Nyssa, and his friend Gregory of Nazianzus, they came from Cappadocia in present-day Turkey. They wanted to integrate Christianity with all that was good in the classical Greek culture. Basil became the bishop of Caesarea. He committed his life to helping the poor and fighting Arianism. Gregory of Nazianzus was a student of Basil. He became a bishop in Constantinople, where he is famous for his defense of the Nicene Creed. He played a leading role in the Council of Constantinople. Gregory of Nyssa was the most intellectual and gifted of the three. He became the Bishop of Nyssa. The trio were known for their opposition to Arianism and support of the Trinitarian teachings. They were able to explain very clearly our present view of how the Trinity could be three who's, but only one what. They also opposed the Macedonians who believed that the Father and the Son were one, but that the Spirit was a creature. The trio also opposed Apollinarianism. Apollinaris denied Jesus had a human soul or mind. The Word took the place of the soul of the man Jesus. The Gregories argued that Jesus had to be fully human to save us completely. By the way, in review, the Council of Constantinople of 381 was called by the Emperor Theodosius to deal with Arianism once and for all. Arianism, Macedonianism, and Apollinarianism were all condemned as heresies. The Nicene Creed, as we know it today, was set down at this time. Next church father is Ambrose. Ambrose was French-born in 339. He became the Bishop of Milan, Italy. He fought hard for Nicene Orthodoxy. Ambrose introduced the East to the use of allegory. He would spiritualize the Bible, finding spiritual applications to the Old Testament stories. This led to the conversion of Augustine. He was very influential in the imperial court. He laid down rules for how a Christian politician should act, which were later developed in the Middle Ages. Ambrose helped remove many vestiges of paganism from the Roman government. He even introduced the West to congregational hymn singing. When the Emperor Theodosius ordered the massacre of hundreds after a riot in Thessalonica, Ambrose ordered the Emperor should repent of this sin or risk excommunication. Next up, John Christenstum. John was from Antioch. John was born to a Christian mother and began his ministry as a monk. Ill health forced him to move back to the city where he became a deacon and then an elder. By the way, at this time the name elder was being replaced by the word priest in the writings of, of this period. His branch of Christianity opposed the allegorists and felt that the Bible should be interpreted as literally as possible. They were called the Antiochenes. Chrysostom, meaning golden mouth, 
for he really became famous for being a great preacher. He preached his way through the books of the Bible. His sermons were published as commentaries. John's sermons were practical and devotional. He became the Bishop of Constantinople in the last part of the 4th century. At this time, the office of bishop had devolved into more of a political position than a spiritual one. John was exiled shortly thereafter because he did not have a political bone in his body. He died in exile. And finally, Jerome. Jerome was an Italian Yugoslavian. He converted at, an a at a young age and dedicated his life to collecting classic literature as a scholar. He joined many who were retreating into the wilderness to become ascetics. Like John, ill health forced him back to the city, but he maintained his celibacy. In 386, he founded a monastery and a convent in Bethlehem, where he stayed till his death in 420. Jerome is most famous for his translation of the Hebrew-Greek Bible into Latin, called the Vulgate. Because of the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, had many apocryphal books included, there was confusion over what was canon and what was not. So Jerome used the Hebrew Bible to translate the Old Testament to Latin, establishing the Old Testament as we see it today in the Protestant Bibles. He was an incredible intellect and scholar, but was believed to be autistic, as it was widely reported that he was impossible to work with for very long. Well, that's it. But wait, what about St. Augustine? Ah, for Augustine, you will have to wait another week. He is so important to Christian history that we will have to spend an entire episode on him. Look for the show notes for this episode. In it, I will list all the books that I'm using to bring you this information. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Do not trust me. Dig in and read for yourselves. If you're enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Soul Anchor Podcast is also on Twitter. Look for me by using the at symbol, then typing in Soul Anchor Pod. On Twitter, I am placing daily quotes from some of the most fascinating men and women of Christian history. I'm also on Facebook. Just search for Soul Anchor Podcast. Soul Anchor Podcast is also on Instagram. So search for Soul Anchor Podcast, one word, and you will find it. I will be including old paintings of these outstanding people along with some interesting facts about them. Getting back to the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the podcast community. Till we meet again. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.